seminar there. I'd like to call uh, Chris and Kiki up here. Give a testimony of what God's been doing in your life there. Hallelujah. There you go, sis. Hey, I'm Kiki. Um, Kirsten. Um, so these marriage seminars um, have been definitely a blessing um, in me and my husband's uh, marriage. Um, I'm coming into um, up upcoming to the marriage um, seminars um, we were just hyped for it because um, it's been something um, in our personal prayers for God to help not just our marriage but all marriages um, in this church and um, just seeing what God is doing um, because me and my husband we've been through a lot in our marriage um, it was like God prepared us for the marriage classes um, which is amazing and not just the uh, the sermons, but like the the people's advice, every all the couples, um, and putting their own advice, their personal advice. Um, it really just sets an atmosphere um, where I I feel safe and secure that um, I'm not like the we're not the only couples in the church that have ever been through something, and I think that's really encouraging. So yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Um, so my name's Chris, for those who don't know me. Um, I really appreciate um, the marriage seminar so far. Uh, it's been a tremendous blessing um, just being a part and going there. Um, one thing that really stuck out to me was um, just how he hit on about um, just being alert um, and just how uh, being cautious of what you, get your ear, what, what you give your ear to, you know, um, who you're giving your ear to, and uh, who's um, uh, feeding into your marriage and who's... Uh, what you dish and I will allow you make yourself available to uh, personnel who can uh, speak into your marriage that's very uh, critical to uh, uh, keep your boundaries and uh, keep your convictions about um, having a strong marriage and how he just uh, just went into how Adam just kind of just fell short you know in that area and stuff like that and, and it's been really eye-opening for me and helping me just having a, a better perspective um, how he touched on last the week before, and just what what marriage is, and how just to um, view my marriage in a, a different light, and uh, just to um, guard my marriage, you know, and just the testimonies of everybody, uh, just saying um, everything what they do um, to guard their marriage is just helping us because you know we're a newly you know young couple and stuff like that. So um, it's just very encouraging. I'm very thankful for the Howards for putting on the. Uh, marriage seminars. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Appreciate that. Hallelujah. Excellent. My wife and I have been married 30, almost 31 years. And so listen, over the years, I can't tell you how valuable marriage seminars, sermons about marriages, and has been said in so many testimonies, older folks, folks have been married longer that have a good marriage. Uh, have helped us and bless us and now we're those people and it's amazing you look at the statistics nowadays they're not getting better unfortunately and so a good marriage is is listen you have to fight you have to work hard not fight with each other amen fight the devil have to put that in there uh, but it, it's going to be where you have to fight the devil and work together and it's a blessing so please if you haven't gone to those do whatever you have to to go to these things, amen, uh, and let God bless you and touch you, and, uh, and, and listen, don't be shy, everyone, well, I don't want people to know our business, listen, everyone knows you got issues, 
Because you're alive, you're on this side of eternity, you all got an issue in your marriage somewhere. And so it's, you know, if you're sick, you go to the doctor, right? That's the smart thing. Instead of stay home and cough and die. So you can always make it. If you have a good marriage, these things make your marriage better. Glory to God. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts 9, verses 10 through 19. Acts 9, 10 through 19. I want to start with an interesting story I found. Roger Starbuck, who led the uh, Dallas Cowboys to the World Championship in 1971, admitted that his position as a quarterback that didn't call his own signals was a, complete, a perpetual source of a trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could he change the play, and he had better be right if he did that. Even though Roger considered Coach Lander to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, pride said, his own pride said, he should be able to run his own team. Roger later said, quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience, and once I learn to obey, there is harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Amen? We're going to read in Acts 9, 10 through 19, and we're going to examine the character of a man named Ananias here. You have your Bible, or start in verse 10. Uh, if you're taking notes, the title of this is Ananias, a profile in obedience. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is cho a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how, much, how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this day that you'd move mightily open our hearts, God. Give us an ear to hear, an eye to see, a heart to understand, and wisdom, God, to apply your word. I trust in you. I have no confidence in my flesh. I hide behind the cross and ask you, God, to touch hearts and change us this day. Anoint your word. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Now listen, there is a great deal that we all can learn from this man Ananias. He has qualities that, that we have that we can examine just from this brief portion of Scripture to emulate and apply into our lives. The first thing I'm going to look at is this man, Ananias, was a faithful man. He was a faithful disciple. It says in verse 10 that he was a certain man. When the Bible uses that term certain, we're not talking about just any old somebody or nobody, but this is a distinctive person that had distinctive qualities that we need to pay attention to. This was not just some fly-by-night, flash-in-the-pan believer, but he had qualities that set him apart. He wasn't just a Sunday morning Christian, not just a, a Christmas and Easter uh, churchgoer. Can you say amen? 
He had submitted his life to Jesus and pressed into all that God has for him. He was a faithful disciple. He was more than just a moral man who knew about Jesus. He planted his life in Damascus. You know, today, he'd be labeled a fanatic, like many of us here. Amen? I don't outreach. Here it is. We find this man, and what is he doing? He's praying. Not only, he's not just giving out the Christmas list, God, give me this, get me that, do this, whatever. But he is listening to God and he has a discerning ear so that when God speaks, when Jesus speaks to him, he hears, he doesn't look around and go, who, who, who is this? But he knows right away that this is God and that God speaks to him about something very specific. He receives a vision from God. God shows him and tells him an inside plan about this man Saul's life. I don't know about you, but in the whole years I've been saved, I don't recognize seeing as powerful a vision like this. I've made tiny, tiny, little, tiny glimpses of stuff. I've never heard God's voice audibly, and yet here it is. This man receives such a powerful vision. Here's his voice, and God shows him something supernaturally. We can uh, observe by this that he had an intimate relationship with God. That's something we should strive for in our lives. He's committed to God's word and his will. Another thing is, Ananias was a man that could be depended upon. Why else would God come to him? There are a lot of disciples in Damascus, as we find out later on. And yet, out of all of them, this certain man, God speaks to him, and he just doesn't give him any old task, amen? He says, hey, and I just want you to be an usher. No, 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 no. I want you to go, and I want you to pray for the man who is the enemy, number one enemy of the church. You know this guy, his rep. He's killed people. He dragged him into jail. He split up families. And guess what? He's the law. I want you to pray for that guy. And then Ananias doesn't argue. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't sit there. Okay, he brings up some facts. But after that, he doesn't try to hide out. He doesn't try to give an excuse. You know, sorry, God, I've got I to change the air in my, my, my tire. I've got to change the shoes on my mule. Uh, I've got to change the straw. No. No. He doesn't say, Jesus, I just got married. I have some land. I've got a relative who's going to die in 20 years. No. Immediately, he goes, finds him, and accomplishes the mission. I have a question. Could God, God depend on us the same way? Could he depend upon you and I to carry out the same kind of task? Now, listen, I know what the answer is. And every disciple's heart right away will say, Oh, yes, Lord, send me. Right? Because that's the thing we say. But let's be honest. Would you? Would you? Listen, if God can't depend upon you to show up for church on time, for outreach on time, then don't say, Oh, yes, I will go pray for the worst enemy of the church and risk my life. You won't do it. If you can't do something small and be counted on to be dependable that, God's not going to choose you for something great. He's not an idiot. Amen? This was a crucial thing, as we know now, for the future of the Christian church. We're not talking about just the future. If it weren't for Paul, we probably wouldn't have been saved. Very possible. Okay? 
New Testament, you know how many books he wrote? Probably two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul. All about Paul. Three missionary journeys without an airplane. He's gone further than we, most of us have with an airplane. This was not just something to blow off. Listen, if you are faithful in small things, you can be trusted to be faithful in great things. Jesus speaks in Matthew 25, and he gives a parable of the parable of talents. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through that. In that, it dealt with money. But the money that was given revealed the real nature and character. It amplified the nature and character of the three men that received the talents. The ones that were faithful, they showed that they knew how to invest that and to be more faithful. Amen? The one who wasn't faithful, who was lazy, that laziness and that nasty attitude that was in him, it came out even in his words. And what happened? God rewards the ones that are faithful and dependable, and he curses and shames and rebukes and punishes the one who's not faithful. Can you say amen? There's a quote, the world crowns success, but God crowns faithfulness. Amen? He knows who are his. He knows who is faithful. The Bible says there were other disciples in Damascus. Why did God choose Ananias? Because he could depend on him to do the job. He could depend upon Ananias to be obedient. Even in the face of fear, he heard God and he obeyed. Can you and I do the same? What if there comes a day? I know we always think that, oh, well, that's going to happen after the tribulation. No, no. Listen, we're blessed in our country. We have not seen persecution at all on the level that there is in our world today. Who's to say, and I'm not trying to be a doomsayer, okay, listen, I don't want to be persecuted, but who's to say that, that we don't get some president gets elected and he's a stinking communist? Amen? He's a stinking socialist, which is antichrist, anti-God, and fully satanic. Check it out in the Bible. Check out the Communist Manifesto. You'll see what I'm talking about. What if we get that kind of person in power, and all of us are then registered illegal? Oh, no, that won't happen until the Antichrist. Listen, the Bible says the spirit of Antichrist is already loosed. Just because it's not the Antichrist doing this stuff doesn't mean it's the same kind of things. What if it's illegal for us to street preach? Are you still going to street preach? What if it's illegal for us to witness and you get locked up? Hmm? What are you going to do? Are you going to bow your knee and burn incense to Caesar? Or are you going to risk your life and be faithful? That's what Ananias was dealing with. The law was coming after him. That's, that was Saul. He didn't know I was there. He knew I was in their city. He didn't know that he knocked out the horse and that Jesus spoke to him until Jesus told him that. But what are you and I going to do when we're persecuted? Are we going to obey God? Or are we going to come up with some kind of accommodating reason why we can disobey him? Who are you scared of offending more? Jesus or a person near you? A husband, a wife, a spouse, a kid, a boss, your neighbor, your landlord. Oh, we, we won't be tested that way. How do we know this? Do you have a guarantee? Because my Bible says, Jesus said, no. For my name's sake, you will be persecuted. We will be challenged in one way, shape, or another. And your faith and my faith will be put to the test. If it hasn't yet in some degree, trust me, it will. And that's what we need to prepare ourselves. That's probably why Ananias was praying 
a good part of it besides the relationship with Jesus. Listen, obedience is not an option with God. It's a necessity. It's not that we're Lord too. You know that? He's God, big L, and we're not. He gets to tell us what to do, not we get to tell him what we want to do. And expect him to bend, you know, his will to ours. Then he's not God. Then you're God. And that's called idolatry. The poem, it says, Where our captain bids us go, tis not ours to murmur no. He that gives the sword and shield chooses to the battlefield where we are to fight the foe. You know, we live in an age of rebellion. It's very obvious to see. But God wants us in this age of rebellion to be people of obedience. That polarizes us. That causes us to stick out. The problem is many Christians treat obedience as something that's optional. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Hear what Jesus said? Not he who thinks or hopes or uh, has a motivation to want to do, but who actually does it. You know, Pastor and I, we speak a lot about uh, politics and current events and stuff like that. And, and one thing that always sticks out in our, in our conversation we're talking about President Trump is, here's a man who did what he said he would do. You can talk about all these other guys. We don't like how he talks. I don't like how he tweets. He gets the job done. He said, I would do this. Did it. In the face of all kinds of, of uh, uh, opposition, Jesus says, I see, I want to look and see what you do. Because talk is cheap. You can say a lot of things, but what are you doing? Oh, Lord, you're my Lord. I want to see if what you're doing shows that I'm your Lord. Amen? Many come in to God, they call him master, but he's not really their master. Jesus is truly your Lord. We prove that Jesus is our Lord when we obey him. Can, can God tell you and I what to do? Could God inconvenience you and I the same way he did Ananias? Now listen, I need to put a balance in here. If you're newly saved, I, I remember being newly saved and wanting to do a lot of things for God, you know? That's where you call your pastor up in the middle of the night. Pastor! God wants me to go to China! Now! <laughs> you, you haven't even read one chapter in the Bible. Your zeal is admirable. But listen, sister, listen, brother. Live for God for some time. Get some maturity under you, okay? Because otherwise all those things, you don't know what the timing is for that. Yeah, God may want you to go do X, Y, Z, but maybe not right now. Amen? So learn some wisdom. Bring some things to him before you go running off on your, your white stye and trying to, trying to do some things. But there are some things that God may tell you to do. Witness your parents. What? My but I live in their house. Yeah. I want you to witness to them. Could you have someone else do it? Huh? I want you to witness to your boss. My boss is the Satan's brother-in-law. <laughs> I might lose my job. He might go to hell. Huh? Stand eyeball eyeball for Jesus and give an answer for why we don't do what he asks us to do when it's crucial. 
If he's asking us to do it or telling us to do it, I think he has a probably good reason. He knows better. Amen? Can you imagine? Here's the situation. We're not giving a lot of details about Ananias' day. But he was a regular guy like us. Can you imagine this? Maybe he had a, the worst day of his life. You ever have one of those days? And you come home, and like you collapse on your knees, and you're exhausted. Maybe you risk prayer in the morning that day. It's like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta get with God. I am desperate. I need, I need the mind of God. I need God's help. He's praying, and God tells him, uh, "I want you to go after uh, that guy. Yeah, the, Jew, the, 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 the law, the Jew superhero guy." who's killing everybody by the law. Yeah, I want you to go pray for that guy. But I'm tired. What if he was tired? What if he wasn't feeling good? What if his kids were acting bad? And that's why he was praying. We don't know why he was praying. Right? Think of all the things you and I pray and are desperately. And here it is. He's praying and God tells him to go do something terrifying and hard. Can God interrupt your plans? Can he change your schedule? Here it is. He tells him, go find Saul. And then he even makes, no, no pressure here. No pressure, Ananias. Oh, by the way, Ananias, he has received a vision that I gave him of you, not the other Ananiases. Definitely not Ananias the fire because they're dead by this time, right? You, Ananias, you, 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 you. To go, and I, I let him see that. So get on with it. Don't make me a liar. No pressure there whatsoever, right? He gives him insight. Listen, this needs to happen because I know what I'm going to do in Saul's life, and I want to let you be part of that plan. What an honor. How amazing. Can you imagine? That'd be like, like God, maybe not exactly like, trying to make a transition we can understand. Being Pastor Wayman Mitchell's uncle, and here it is, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, his sister Nelda, they're devastated at the death of the baby. And his uncle and his wife get to share the gospel with him. Not knowing the impact in our lives, in this church, in the whole entire world, the impact that those two people would have. Listen, I... I I want to go on record and say this. I believe Pastor William Mitchell had apostolic ministry. I truly believe that. Just as Paul had apostolic ministry, so did he. The same kind of impact, the same kind of heart, the same zeal and passion. And here it is, Ananias gets to be at the very beginning. What if he didn't do it? What if he didn't obey? What if Pastor Mitchell's uncle had not obeyed? Where would we be? Who's to say no one else would talk to him at that exact moment in time? Look at this from Ananias' perspective. God gives him a vision. You know, Saul was kind of like, if there was mainstream news or CNN, he'd be the media darling of the day. Right? He could do no wrong even when he did wrong. And God says, you go talk to him. You go pray for him. What would Ananias' Christian buddies think? 
Huh? Talk about the peer pressure. God told you to do what? Bro, I think that was Satan. You probably shouldn't do that. I don't think it's a good idea. And if you do, don't you tell him you know me. Because if he backsides, they might come after me. Listen, God still tells us to do this kind of stuff. Amen? And yet he says yes. He trusts God despite how he personally may have felt. We read he had misgivings. God, are you sure you want to do this? This is the guy who's killing people. Maybe he killed my friends, relatives. And yet he does it anyways. Because Ananias understood that obedience to God is an imperative and not an option. See, that's something we need to understand. When God tells us to do something, he really is serious and wants us to do it. It's not just, it's not the ten suggestions, is it? It's the ten commandments. It's not the golden suggestion. It's the golden rule that we should follow. There's an old commercial that used to be on TV. It was about an uh, um, investment, I think it was an investment firm called E.F. Hutton. And the whole thing was these guys gather around a table, and I guess E.F. Hutton was actually a guy, and it said, the, the, the voiceover for it said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And all these guys are, they want to get the latest bid on how they can make millions of dollars. Well, you know what? We should listen to Jesus Christ a whole lot more than E.F. Hutton. When Jesus Christ speaks, do we listen to him? Do we give ear to him? Do you obey what, his, what he says? See, the problem is, is many times we can develop selective hearing. And you and I, any, if you have kids, you know what that is, right? When you say, ice cream, oh man, they're running, they're running, the candy, they're running. When you say, clean your room. Come here. Did you do that? Huh? All of a sudden, it's like their brain fell out of their head or something like that. That's why you need to get a spanking stick and pop their butt, and it gets the brain that slides down the spine, and it, it puts it back up into the skull there. That's free. But we develop that, don't we? God tells us something. We know it's him. But, uh, la, 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 Shondo, that's what you're praying in the sun's ladder, all right? Oh, Shondo, Rebo, Cosida. I didn't hear you, God. What was that? We shouldn't be like that, amen? We should tune our ears into God. Because listen, selective obedience is disobedience, and disobedience is sin. It's simple as that. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. Isn't it crazy, human nature? We disobey God. We know we disobey God. And then try to cover it up. We're going to go try to do some extra good thing, right? That we think is extra good. And God doesn't let us off the hook. He says, no, that's the cool thing you did, but I know what you're doing. Uh, still do this. And do it now, because you're going to make me lose my temper. And when God loses temper, you, hey, Old Testament shows that, right? Earthquake, Korah, people, people whine, complain, not appreciative. Manna, stinking manna, manna waffles, manna burgers, <laughs> filet of manna. I want meat. Oh, you want meat? I'll give you exactly what you want. Meat till it comes out their nostrils, the Bible says. Now, I've never seen anyone eat so much that the food comes out their nostrils. That's gross. That's really gross. But God did it because 
he was ticked off because people didn't want to obey or trust him. Listen, obedience brings a fruitfulness. When you and I obey God and trust him in small things, he can entrust us with greater things and greater things in the future. Here it is, Ananias. No one else can make this claim. He is the one who prayed for Saul. Imagine the testimony. Oh, yeah, I remember I was praying, and God told me to do this. And, yeah, that guy, Paul, who's famous now everywhere, he was my, I was his first friend. I followed up on him. I prayed, and the first miracle, physical healing miracle in his life, God let me be part of that. No one else can give that kind of testimony except for Ananias. And you read where Paul, no doubt, gives testimonies. He mentions this man. He mentions how he was alone and in the dark and blind and humbled and wondering what was going on, uncertain future, other than God had knocked me off my horse and wants me to do something, and I don't know anything else except for some guys going to come and pray for me. And Ananias does it. Another thing Ananias we can, we can look at is that he had a heart for people. They had, he was, was filled with friend, friendliness and compassion. You know, one man said, the greatest service one can perform is to befriend someone. We all need friends. No, listen, it, it's not just doing something for somebody, but it's caring for someone. And listen, we all need that. I don't care if you're someone who is uh, more into yourself and, and uh, you're not outgoing. You still need somebody. Amen? And not just your spouse. Because they're probably sick of you after a little bit. Well, I find God always matches the outgoing people with the people that aren't. And they drive each other crazy and work, to work out their marriage that way. So it is with my wife and I. And then you learn how bad you need friends. Amen? See, in this world, a true friend is hard to find. Someone who accepts you just the way you are, but they love you so much, they don't want to leave you that way. Who wants to help you out? Who can speak into your life? Who knows who you are? If you have a few friends like that who can rebuke you, and you don't fly off the handle and want to beat the snot out of them. Who know who you are on your worst day and still love you. Who accept you on your best day, no matter what. That is a true friend. That's what Saul needed. Think of this. Saul is no longer... He was risking his life. He's now going to disobey the Sanhedrin. He's going, he has fired himself by accepting Jesus. His life may, very may well be in uh, a forfeit. And we read later on it was forfeit many times. He is no longer religious. He realized his religion couldn't save him. And he was the worst of all sinners in his own words just like everybody else. He's alone in a large city. He's blind. He has to be led by the hand of another. He's physically vulnerable. And here it is. He's praying, and God's given him a vision, and the next thing he feels is a hand on his shoulder saying, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Ananias could have said anything else. He didn't have to say him. He could have just got there and started praying. And yet, he reaches out a hand of compassion, arrives in his room. Even then, here it is, Ananias could have... Saul's blind. He doesn't know who it is. 
Could have been someone who was helping him there in that room or, or whatnot. Could have been the, a maid if they had something along those lines back then where he was staying at. And I just could have seen him and said, where's the knife? I'm going to get some revenge on this guy. I'll pray with him and then kill him so that way he can't backside and do bad things. Doesn't do it. Obeys God, brother Saul. Prays for him. Does a miracle. And then doesn't leave him there. We read later on that Saul is, now Paul, is introduced to others in the church. It says in verse 18 through 19, immediately there fell from his eyes Something like scales, he received his sight at once. He was, arose, was baptized. And he received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Who gave him the introduction to the disciples? I dare say it was probably Ananias. Didn't just put his hand on him, but took him by the hand, if you will, to introduce him and get him locked into the church. Listen, follow-up is so powerful. Follow-up is not a program, beloved. It's being a friend. It's simply that, being a friend. And listen, there are so many people out there that because of life, because of the betrayal of those who are close to them, family, and people who call them friends, that many people don't know what a true friend is. When we're seeing new people, that's all we're doing is befriending them. We're taking the first step the same way Jesus took the first step to us, didn't he? By revealing himself. Listen, we were the ones that were lost. Not Jesus being lost. He, 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 where is God? Well, listen, the problem is, is you're so messed up in sin. You, you're so messed up and you're so lost. You think Jesus is lost. He's not lost. He made the first step and came to us. We need to make the step and go to those people as well. Befriend them. Invite them over. Listen, one of the things when I was a new convert that, that shocked me, what in a good way, was that people were inviting me over their house. Single, stranger, dude from New England, and people, it's like, what? I, listen, I was very suspicious. Wait, what do you want? Why, why do you people want to have me over your house? What are you trying to get from me? That was my attitude. It's like you, to, you, to be this friendly, you're, are you one of those people that come to the door to door? You know, you're going to sell me stuff? You want my money? You, listen, I had to overcome that. And the, what overcame that in my life was these people wouldn't want anything from me. They wanted to serve. They wanted to help. They wanted to help me. They wanted to invest in my life. They wanted to give to me, not get something from me. That blew me away. That won me. That and, and, and witnessing and the things I'd read the book of Acts, is like I see this live in their lives. Not just Sunday morning. Not just at church. Outside their whole life. Were they perfect? No. But you know what? They were imperfect, and yet they still had a passion and zeal for God. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't excuse it, but they didn't try to hide it. They were real, just as Ananias probably was to Paul. Amen? He simply cared for this man, had a powerful impact upon him. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, A friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. There's people out there in adversity, and they need us, brothers and sisters both, to go help them out. I want to ask you, would you be living for God today if someone had not befriended you? You know, listen, if you think, that, oh, I did this myself. No, you didn't. That's not the truth. 
Someone befriended you. Someone took you under their wings. Someone sacrificed for you. Someone invested and prayed and agonized over you. Concerned about you when you weren't even concerned about yourself. Befriending someone new that saved is crucial. It's hard. And a friend is needed. And all it takes is for us to do the same thing. To be the friend for somebody else. To have compassion for somebody else. To obey God when he calls us. I want to end here. God, listen, God, God is searching for people like this certain disciple Ananias. There's certain people here that God wants to call. And pastor a couple weeks ago preached and he mentioned in a sermon that we need to pray and believe God for key people in, our, in our, our neighborhood, in our cities to come in. Amen? Well, to have those key people come in, it's going to take God speaking to key people that will be obedient and that will befriend them. Can you volunteer to be that key person for somebody? Can you imagine what God could do if we would simply obey him in that? God would have to do a miracle and get us a big building. Amen? Much bigger. <laughs> I'm okay. That's a good problem if you even want to call it a problem. That's what we're here for. All it takes for us is to be compassionate, obey God. Amen? We need certain disciples to reach those people and then follow up and befriend them, to disciple them. It's not just pastor's job. Amen? This is in Acts 26, 19. Paul is before King Agrippa. This is before he's going to go into Roman uh, uh, captivity. And he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The whole reason that Paul could say and boast in Christ that he was not disobedient is because Ananias wasn't disobedient. Just as he was obedient to God, and Paul was obedient to the vision God gave him. I want to ask you today, what is God speaking to you specifically that you need to obey? Something you maybe have resisted, or maybe he even did it today in prayer, and it kind of caught you aback. Whatever that thing is, instead of continuing to let God deal with you, why not obey? It might be giving. Maybe you're trying to figure out, should I tithe? Let me help you out. Yes. Okay? Yes. Period. You should. But I've done the math. Look, don't do the math. Just obey. And then see what happens. Because God promises, test me in this. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing that you cannot contain. Not just in money. We get so caught on that. That's money's easy thing for God. Everything's actually an easy thing for him. But we always think money's like hard for him. No. I, I dare, I double dog dare you. Test God in the tithe. You're not a faithful tire. I double dog dare you. Are you chicken? Yeah, I'll make fun of you. Are you chicken? Are you too chicken to tithe? I'm a big person in the military. If you're not tithing, you're chicken. And you're disobedient. Pastor's here. He can rebuke me if I'm doing this wrong. Tithe. Obey. Test God. He tells us to. It's a command. Obey Him. Maybe it's witnessing to somebody. Maybe it is something dealing with your family where you need to be a better father, a better mother, better example. Obey. Maybe God, you're a disciple here, and God has been challenging you to get involved, to make yourself available. 
I want to challenge you. Go to pastor and say, Pastor, I want to get involved. Where can I serve? And then do it. You know, when I, when I, I'll never forget, we had a revival, new convert. I'll say this and I'll end. And I got this awesome word from a, an evangelist, Howard Pennington. You remember him, Pastor? Gave him this powerful word. God's going to make, I mean, he even used King James. I was impressed. God's going to make you fruitful and na-na-na-na. And, and it was in that service, when I answered the altar call, God spoke to me and called me to preach. I was a single guy, soldier. Man, I was excited. I was jazzed. I went to my pastor. I didn't know how this thing worked. Pastor was Bob Alvarez at the time said, Pastor, God called me to preach. Is there some kind of school or something I need to go to? Is there something I got to do? How can I serve? How can I help? Say, so go see the door director. Go see the door director, James Dunham. He gives me a plunger. Clean the bathrooms. <laughs> well, I'm called to preach. Clean the bathrooms. And that was my first ministry. And I did it as best I could. Most of the time with a good attitude. Listen, do that. Trust God. Obey. Are you, ask yourself, are you like Ananias? And if not, why not? You might not be naturally brave or naturally friendly or naturally compassionate, but God can put those qualities in you as you obey him. Not before, but in the doing of it, it's amazing what God will put in you over time. As you reach out, obey, and be selfless. Making God and others a priority. And God enlarges your heart and changes you. Not just for that one time, but that's the beginning and that's the start. Amen. Praise God. What happens you begin to see people as God does. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. That's all I have. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes in respect to God and the person sitting.